You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present our program, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with your host, Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the completion, the full realization of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and its sacraments. We are once again at a very special time of the year. One of the beautiful things about being a Catholic, frankly, is that almost every time of the year is a very special time of the year. But we have just entered into Lent. And so I was going to dedicate today's show to some discussion of Lent and some observations about Lent and some some readings about Lent. Uh, First of all, let me say just from my Jewish background that I found it uh, quite moving that the uh, Catholic liturgy for Ash Wednesday um, makes heavy reference to the story of Job and um, Job being sent to Nineveh and encouraging the people of Nineveh to repentance. And they, even though they were Gentiles and not Jews, uh, put on sackcloth and ashes and fasted. And the punishment that God had ordained for Nineveh was therefore remitted. And it's obviously a, a picture of the ability that our prayer and our fasting and our repentance can have in um, averting God's just decree or his punishment. Um, but what was striking to me is that on Yom Kippur, now Yom Kippur is sort of the closest thing that Judaism has to land. It is a day of strict fasting and repentance for one's sins in order to plead God's mercy and forgiveness. And the uh, the reading, the synagogue reading for the afternoon of Yom Kippur is reading the uh, story of Job. So it's very much the same story, the same imagery, the same picture that's presented of what God wants from man when he sins or goes astray, which is simply heartfelt repentance. Um, and so that uh, was a perhaps a little side note, but these little echoes between Judaism Jewish liturgy and Catholic liturgy always uh, strike me as meaningful. And so um, let me go on to the Catholic celebration, so to speak, of Lent. And um, tomorrow is the first uh, first Sunday of Lent. And the reading, the gospel reading, is Jesus' temptation in the desert. So I am going to start with reading uh, reading the story of the temptation in the desert from Luke chapter 4, even though I believe this year the reading that one will hear in church on the first Sunday of Lent is actually the account from Mark. But let me read it from Luke 4. It's a somewhat fuller account. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed him, he departed from him until an opportune time. So here we see the archetype of the temptations that we are presented with, temptations that come from the devil in order to tempt us away from God and tempt us to sin. But at the same time, temptations that are permitted by God's entirely loving providence in order to give us opportunities 
to grow and to gain merit. And um, in that light, so to speak, I would like to um, turn, so to speak, to a discussion of the role of temptation and um, the role of uh, spiritual warfare, because essentially, wherever you have spiritual warfare, you have the uh, playing out of temptation, and whenever you have temptation, you have the playing out of spiritual warfare. And I would like to begin today's show by reading a very beautiful meditation by Father John Harden on um, our posture in response to temptation. And he gives his meditation in the context of one of the meditations from St. Ignatius of Loyola's Spiritual Exercises, a very famous meditation that uh, St. Ignatius uh, prescribes for all of those who follow the exercises, which is known as the two standards, Christ and Satan. And the picture is essentially that there are essentially two armies arrayed for battle, in the middle of a battlefield, and one is in that battlefield in the middle of the night preceding the battle that is to begin the next day at dawn, and there are two camps, and there's the camp of Satan, and there's the camp of Christ. And, of course, when we enter into this meditation, we are to um, look at the characters of the two camps, and make our choice, obviously, for the the camp of Christ. One of the beautiful things in this meditation is that when you look at the camp of Satan, you see Satan on his throne, you know, full of pride and, and, and full of power and ordering people around and all of his minions, you know, competing for position and fighting and backstabbing each other and sucking up to Satan and so forth. And a a tremendous amount of um, activity and noise and indulgence in some sense. And you turn to the camp of Christ and you see uh, poverty and self-denial and peace. And you see Christ himself um, in the battlefield uh, in the same position as a soldier, so to speak. In other words, sleeping on the hard ground and uh, putting up with all of the, the mortifications and the deprivations of battle, and of course, if one is to be a soldier in his army, one is to emulate him and follow him on that path, um, not for the reward or glory that comes um, in the church militant, so to speak, in the time of battle, but only after the victory is won, that is, of course, heaven. So let me turn to the words of... um, of uh, Saint, uh, I started to say Saint John Harden, Father John Harden, but I, I believe there are some people trying to promote his cause. He was a very, very, very um, wonderful and uh, very, very special, uh, holy, if I can say so, Jesuit priest who passed away. Uh, by now, it's probably 15 to 20 years ago. So, first of all, his introduction: What will it be for you, for me, Christ and eternal heavenly glory? or Satan and everlasting terror, horror, and hellfire. When meditating, it's not hard to visualize whose side we choose to be on, but recognizing the deceits of the devil and having the courage to resist them is something else. He tells us to desire for worldly possessions, honor, pride, and finally moral depravity. We must yearn and pray for the grace to respond to the holy desires coming from Christ. What will it be for me, for you? Our meditation this evening is on the two standards, Christ and Satan. As you know, this meditation is at the beginning of the second week of the spiritual exercises. My plan is to cover this in three areas. First, to speak on the devil and divine providence. Then to expand specifically on the two standards. And finally, to say something on how we are to cope with the evil spirit in our lives. The devil is part of divine revelation. From the opening verses of Genesis to the closing chapters of the Apocalypse, the Holy Spirit reveals the role of the evil spirit in the salvation history of the human race. Our purpose here will be to identify the most prominent lessons that we should learn from what the scriptures teach us about the devil. Each is a short but important lesson on how the devil belongs for sure 
for as for sure we know he belongs to God's mysterious permissive providence. By the way, let me interrupt myself. This is a live call-in show. I don't have a dedicated guest for the show, so it's a good opportunity to call in. And I will keep my eye on the board and interrupt myself at any time, should a call come in. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Back to Father John Harden. The fall of our first parents. Tempted by the devil to eat of the forbidden fruit, Eve in turn tempted Adam, who also disobeyed God. As a result, the whole human family lost its supernatural life. It's built in control of our human desires and the precious gift of bodily immortality. That is why Christ speaks of the devil as the murderer from the beginning. Except for the devil, there would be no human death on earth. What the devil did then, he continues doing now. He is allowed to disobey God. The devil's purpose is to seduce us into sin. But always we distinguish between the malevolent intent of the evil spirit and the mysterious providential purpose of God. God's purpose is that through being tempted by the devil, we might grow in our love for and obedience to our Creator. Still in the book of Genesis, after the devil had seduced Adam and Eve, God cursed the evil spirit and prophesied, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. The woman is Mary, her seed is Christ. Ever since Eden, there has been a deadly conflict between the followers of Christ and the followers of Satan. Not to know this is not to understand the most fundamental warfare that's been going on since the dawn of human history. Then we turn to the New Testament. Christ our Lord began his public ministry by first fasting for 40 days in the desert and then allowing himself to be tempted by the evil spirit. How this needs to be underlined, part of the imitation of Christ is to expect to be tempted by the devil. Indeed, the greater and firmer our desire for holiness, the stronger will be the efforts of the fallen angels to make us follow their example of refusing to serve God. The key, of course, is to recognize the demon's strategy and courageously act against what they are urging us to do. We may take it for granted that we are being urged to self-indulgence, the key to Lucifer and the key to the demon's temptations of us all. The key to resisting is, excuse me, no. The key to the demon's temptations is self, self self-indulgence, self-assertion, self-will. The impulse leading to this self-will is from the minions of Lucifer who became the devil precisely because he used his will. As the church has solemnly defined, the devil became the devil because of his free will. Once the free will turns against God, it becomes demonic. Then we come to Christ's exorcisms. One of the most remarkable features of the Gospels are the number of exorcisms performed by the Savior. The fathers of the church explain these exorcisms in telling us why. For the coming of Christ... The devil saw that their power over the world was being broken, and they reacted in demonic self-defense. In our day, there is extraordinary attention given to the devil. He must be extraordinarily active. One reason, told to me by my friend, the chief exorcist of Rome, is that people preoccupied with worldly pursuits are an easy prey to the prince of this world. Satanism is widespread. Satanism has even penetrated the church. We close part one of our meditation by reflecting on the contrast between the church militant and what the early fathers of the church called the mystical body of Satan. There are two mystical bodies, one of Christ and one of Satan. The devil is highly organized, and unless the followers of Christ are correspondingly, deeply motivated, strongly organized and zealous, they are no match for the followers of the evil spirit which leads us to part two of our meditation. And let me just uh, interrupt with a couple of um, observations or notes of my own at this point. Um, oh, I, I see I do, have a, I do have a caller. So before I interrupt with my own comments, I will interrupt with the caller. Um, are you there, Angela? 
I am. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm sorry I didn't notice that right away. It, it, it's okay. The young man who, who greeted me um, was, was very, very nice. Um, I I have uh, a question. I, I am Catholic, and we're involved in um, special Lenten devotion in the evening with several women um, in our church. And I have no. I really enjoy uh, Saint Ignatius as well. We have an Ignatius. I mean, a Jesuit retreat center near our, our farm here in southwest Louisiana, and the, the retreats are so informative in uh, discussing a lot of the annotations of, of uh, our dear St. Ignatius. But uh, I've been reading a lot of things about um, discerning, discernment, um, discernment of the spirit, which is written by, uh, oh, I don't have this book in front of me, but I found it very helpful as well. But getting back to our Lenten um, devotion that we're doing, I have noticed that since we started it a couple of days ago, that I have felt such an oppression, uh, especially nearing the time of the devotion. Uh, and I, I feel that there is an evil presence around us, or around me um, in particular. I am leading the, the devotion. And I do pray before and after. Is there anything else that I should do? Um, n- uh, no, I think that's a good sign, if I can say so. The uh, oppression you feel, which I think is a is a temptation to deter you from what you're doing, or failing that at least yeah. to, to make you suffer, you know, to make you miserable. Um, the other side yeah. of the same coin is it is a opportunity permitted by God for you to gain extra graces for what you're doing, right? Because it's producing mm. suffering, right? Because mm. it's always this jujitsu between God and the devil, so to speak. He always, he always flips the um, you know the energy the initiative of the devil and makes it available for an increase of grace. So I think it's yeah. not a bad idea to to think of it that way. Um, I would say that if you had the opportunity to pray before the tabernacle or the blessed sacrament, um, yeah. when I'm under oppression, I find that praying in the presence of, of the blessed sacrament usually has a fairly um, dramatic effect. But um, but all in all, I would just say it's a uh, it's actually a good sign. Um, the um, there's a famous uh, quote from uh, uh, I think it's Ecclesiastes. My son, when you come to serve God, prepare your soul for temptation. Right. Prepare. Yes. yes. So um, the you know the more um, frankly, you know, the, the more valuable what you're setting out to do is to God, then the more important it is to Satan to interfere with it. But at the same time, the more he does to interfere with it, the more grace is available to you by overcoming that temptation to, you know, to, to make that endeavor even more fruitful. So it's a good example yeah. of all of that. I think you're referring to Tim Gallagher, by the way, when you talk about the book on the discernment Thank of spirits. Thank you. That's him. Yeah, Father Tim Gallagher, yeah, uh, uh, who, by the way, I, I actually know him quite well, and despite his name, his, he's half Jewish, so I take a little special pride. His mother actually uh, right? was a Jewish convert. Yeah. So, um, so another That's one of <laughs> another another. I, well, maybe his mother was the Jew who converted, but another another great uh, Jewish contribution, so to speak. The um, yeah, I think that's probably. Does that answer your your question? It does help. Um, I, I'd like. I mean, I know it, it's real, and I I know I have to be cautious who I reveal that information to. I, a lot of people think it's just a bunch of of, of hooey. But, uh, no, I know that the enemy is, is real and, uh, that, that he's up to causing mm-hmm. as much disruption yeah. in what we're trying to accomplish here. 
And, and, and you, sh- you should actually, the, you know, you talk about St. Ignatius's discernment of spirits. He has a, another tremendous principle, uh, agira contra, act against. I mean, basically, the devil, in, in a sense, he's a fool, because by showing his hand in what he's trying to get you to do, he's actually showing you exactly what, that what you should do is exactly the opposite. So you should oh, take wow. yes. you should take that temptation to not do what you're doing in this case of leading that group and just turn around and say, you know, you're such an idiot, Satan. You are making it very clear to me that this is very important what I'm doing and I'll redouble my efforts. Yeah. And that's yeah. called acting contrary, yeah. agir contra, which is another principle that St. Ignatius uses in his discernment of spirits. Would you say that that term for me again, please? Yeah, I'm I'm slurring it on purpose because I don't really know Latin. Uh, Agira contra, I believe. I think it would be A-G-E-R-E, new word, C-O-N-T-R-A, would be my guess, to act against, to act opposite. Okay. Um, Okay. I still have some books I bought on my last retreat that I haven't gotten around to, but once I get to reading... Um, him, I, yeah. think I can get so deep into what he is saying. Yeah, uh, like the discernment of spirits. I've been reading that book for a number of years, and Good. I have to go back sometimes. Good. He I also, by the way, there he did a he did a um, series on the radio. I don't know what it is. Eight talks on discernment of spirits, which you can probably find oh, really? on on YouTube or something, and. Um, Father John Harden, who I'm reading from today, his last name is spelled mm-hmm. H-A-R-D-O-N. He also okay. has a, um, a lecture series on the exercise of St. Ignatius. I think it's about 12 or 13 um, lectures. And I know they're available on the Internet. I think they're probably available for free. I know they're available, you know, as CDs. But I think, I think you can find them for free. Mm-hmm. And you can find the text in them for free, too. And they're, uh, I'm, I'm reading one now, you know. But anyway, they're also a very good way of getting into St. Ignatius's um, exercises. Um, yeah. I'll just close this little uh, comment with you. Um, there's a, a, a famous story that one of the Desert Fathers tells. I don't remember it word for word. But he is going mm-hmm. to the nearest city. And, um, you know, it's like Babylon. It's a big walled city, you know, full of tens of thousands of people you know, feasting and having a good time and stuff. And when he comes up to the city walls, he finds these demons just, you know, napping and sleeping on the city walls. And he says to them, you know, what are you doing? I would have thought you would be in there busy, you know, corrupting all those people. And then just kind of shrug and say, they have no need of us. They're doing a fine job by themselves. So, um, you know, again, it's what Father Harden said, too, but... You know, the devil is not going to waste a lot of energy on people who are already following his path, so to speak. He's going to uh, focus on the people who do him harm, uh, which is the people who are, of course, trying to pray and trying to strengthen God's power. And that's also why we have to pray so much for, um, you know, for the hierarchy of the church and for our priests, because if, if Satan can corrupt one priest, it's as good as corrupting, you know, hundreds of the rest of us. Mm. So, um, and that's also a way to look at at the fall of priests. And obviously, in the last twenty years, we've seen a lot of um, cases where where priests have succumbed to temptation. But w- rather than judge, we should be aware that they are being subjected to far more intense temptation than we are, because they're much more valuable prizes to the devil. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly thank you for your pouring out on my spirit today. And I I certainly believe that others are being blessed and encouraged by your your talk and your comments today. Thank you. And you you know what? Once I get my little puppy settled here, I think I will go and sit in front of of the Blessed Sacrament uh, because... I know we started off with eight women last night. We had sixteen. Wow! Keep and, doubling. And tonight, tonight is our, our topic is going to be finding true love and turning away from fornication, 
a number of things that are troubling our women today. So I know the enemy is not happy with me, but I certainly thank you for giving me that that reinforcement today. Good. Well, thank you for calling, and um, I'd better go back to... Better go back to the uh, show because I have a lot of material to yes. get through. But thank you so much for your call and uh, f- also you. for your kind words. Okay. So um, I just have one more one more paragraph here, and then uh, I think I'll uh, it'll be time to take the break that we usually take about halfway through. But back to the text of Father John Harden talking about the meditation on the two standards and how we should basically the role of Satan in in tempting us. Um, St. Ignatius calls this the two standards. Basic to a correct understanding of the spiritual life in every state of life is the fact that the following of Christ is a social enterprise. We must go beyond the desire for our own sanctification to cooperate with Christ in propagating his doctrine among all men throughout the world. Togetherness is of the essence of our faith. Equally basic is the corresponding fact that the evil spirit is active in his propagation of his doctrine, and he has a doctrine among all men throughout the world. Remember the parable of the sower who sowed good seed during the day, and then sometimes later, weeds began to grow, sown in the same field by an enemy. There are two sowers sowing their seed in the hearts and minds of men. One sower is Jesus Christ, the other is Lucifer. This is not pious rhetoric or mere devotion. This is bedrock Christianity. The focus of our concentration here is to compare the method used by Christ in organizing his followers with the corresponding and competitive method of Satan in mobilizing his agents, or, as St. Ignatius calls them, the two standards which are commonly associated with the spiritual exercises. They are really a part of divine revelation and essential to every believer's Christian spirituality. Not to know what I want to share with you is to be sheer ignorant, blind to what is going on in the world today. So, um, with that, oh, let me just say in this, uh, just, just reflecting on that beautiful call that just came in from Angela, I'll just repeat a line. Uh, basic to a correct understanding of the spiritual life in every state of life is the fact that the following of Christ is a social enterprise. Um, basically, um, as is clear in the, uh, from, again, from St. Ignatius's first principle and foundation, there are really two purposes to our purpose of life on earth. The first is to make it to heaven ourselves, and the second is to get as many other people to heaven as possible. And when you get right down to it, those are really the only two um, meaningful fruits of life on earth. And, uh, you know, if our own salvation is not in jeopardy, then, which of course it always is, but I'll short circuit that for the moment, um, then our um, primary role in serving God is to do everything we can to bring others to know Him and love Him and also turn away from sin. So uh, I assume you're still listening, Angela. Uh, in that light, I applaud you for the work you're doing with those those women, trying to catechize them on um, some of the temptations of the devil that they should be resisting. And um, with that, I think we've come to about the halfway show in, uh, point in the program, so I'll go to a short musical break and then uh, continue with this discussion of the um, two standards of St. Ignatius and kind of tying it into Lent and um, Jesus' temptation in the desert. So with that, this is Roy Shoman. You're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria, and be back in a few moments. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. When I return to our program, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with your host, Roy Shoman. Hi, welcome back to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism. Uh, we've been talking about Lent and Jesus's a 40-day fast in the desert and the three temptations that he was faced with and relating that to the two standards and the meditation of St. Ignatius on the two standards. Before I launch back into that, let me apologize for a um, 
rather uh, gross error at the beginning of the show. Uh, I hope it was just a slip of the tongue, but when I talked about this, I, I talked about the book of Job in the context of Jonah going to Nineveh and preaching repentance, obviously I meant uh, the, uh, the story of Jonah and not Job. I apologize for that error, and I thank our listener who called in to uh, give me the opportunity to correct that. And uh, again, I guess simply before I, I launch back into um, to uh, Father John Harden's discussion, um, I can't ignore this fact um, that here we're talking about the reality of the demonic influences, the reality of having to um, strengthen ourselves to resist the devil's temptations, and and frankly the reality of, of the devil's um, ability to insinuate himself into us and gain some sort of power over us should we not resist his um, seductive techniques. And in that context, I just want to say uh, that here I am in Florida. We probably all know about the horrific high school shooting that uh, took place a couple of days ago um, here in Florida by a, um, I think he was a 19-year-old recent um, uh, expellee from that high school. But um, it's very notable to me that um, when he was arrested, he said that demon voices in him told him what to do and how to pull off the shooting. And um, he told police that he heard voices in his head who gave him instructions for the attack. And these voices were described as demons by law enforcement sources. So um, that's not exactly the form of temptation, I hope, that we're talking about. But um, it is certainly underlining the fact that the devil is very, very real and the demonic influence is very, very real. And, um, you know, please God, we're not faced with that kind of uh, intense uh, uh disturbance or intervention or whatever by those forces but in one way or another they are going to be after everybody and I think by the way the the um, intensity of the demonic manifestations like that is directly related of course to the amount of sin in our society that is the corporate the aggregate amount of sin that actually gives the devil and his minions more power including more power over the minds of um, of susceptible people. Um, and uh, we've certainly taken a wrong turn in our culture and in our society, in our view of morality, uh, and in particular, of course, around, um, around uh, the slaughter of the innocents as manifested in abortion and now to some extent euthanasia and sexual sin. So... Uh, I hate to say it, but I think that that um, this influence is simply going to grow. Back to Saint, back to uh, Father John Harden. First, then, the standard of Satan. Let me first quote from Saint Ignatius: "The chief of all the enemies summons innumerable demons and scatters them, some to one city and some to another throughout the whole world, so that no province, place, state of life, or individual is overlooked." He goes around to lay snares for men to seek to chain them. First, they are tempted to covet riches, as Satan himself is accustomed to do in most cases, that they more easily obtain the empty honors of this world and then come to overweening pride. The first step, then, will be riches, the second honor, the third pride. From these three steps, the one leads to all other vices. That was all a quote directly from St. Ignatius. Back to Father John Harden. Now some explanation. The devil's strategy is to get people to become attached to earthly things. He urges them to, let's say, acquire material wealth, or acquire education, or acquire mastery in the use of their emotions, or cultivate gifts in the social order. Or would you believe it, the devil will even tempt people to acquire spiritual riches. Um... But whatever the possession, whether as cheap a thing as money or special things such as secular knowledge or even spiritual wisdom, the beginning is to become wealthy and thus to attain recognition, praise, honor. How well I know, 
too many highly gifted individuals who have fallen like cheap tinder because they have allowed themselves to be beguiled by the evil spirit. Attachment to the things of this world gradually makes a person not only satisfied with what he or she possesses, but hungry for acceptance, recognition, praise, and honor. And once, as Ignatius says, a person becomes victim of empty honors, then pride follows as a matter of course. Uh, because a per- once a person falls into pride, there is no limit to that person's malice. Proud people are the agents of the devil. He uses them to seduce others. In fact, he uses them to work with him. And under his demonic power, he organizes proud people into what some of the fathers of the church, as I have said, call a distinct power, call it the mystical body of Satan. By whatever name, it is mastered by the father of lies. And God allows the demons to exercise superhuman power over those who allow themselves to be victimized. Now, when I read this, it's impossible not to think of uh, classics of Catholic spirituality, such as Imitation of Christ, and to think, of course, of Christ himself, because um, what Father John Harden is doing here and what St. Ignatius is doing here and what basic Catholic spirituality always does is contrast the fallen state of man that has a kind of interior lust for power and control and riches and honor and praise. And, of course, that's what caused Satan's initial fall, right? That he wanted to take the place of God, that he wanted the glory and honor and praise that belongs to God. And that is reflected in our fallen nature. And there is intrinsically a war between that and... um, and humility and modesty and chastity and the virtues which are necessary for us to um, be uh, basically be acceptable to God and to grow in holiness. And, and I don't know whether to say divine providence has presented us. God himself made man becoming the most perfect example of mortification, self-negation, humility, meekness, and so forth. Um, And, of course, this is Lent. This is the Stations of the Cross. This is what we see every time we do the Stations of the Cross. Uh, Do the Stations of the Cross. What do you see? The first station is Jesus being condemned by Pilate. And Jesus allowing himself to be condemned by Pilate, right? There he is shackled. This is the creator of the universe, right? This is the king and lord of all that is. Shackled in front of a tin pot earthly ruler in a backwater province, right, a a third-rate, you know, what our president recently called these places, you know, something whole or something, and he is allowing himself to be submitted to Pilate's authority and uh, condemned to the most humiliating. You just go through the stations of the cross, you know, having to carry his own cross, being stripped naked, being nailed as though he were an inanimate object to the wood of the cross, being crucified, and taking it all with complete humility and meekness, um, presenting himself as as an example for us. Um, and it's easy, of course. That, that is the contrast. That is the opposite side of the coin. That's that is the solution to the temptation of the devil, which, as um, Father John Harden has just described, tries to inflate us with self-importance and pride and a lust for empty honors and the things of this world and praise and so forth. Back to Saint, uh, excuse me, back to Father Hardin. Now the standard of Christ. In the words of Saint Ignatius, I quote, Christ our Lord, the Lord of all the world, chooses so many persons, apostles, disciples, and sends them throughout the whole world to spread his sacred doctrine among all men. No matter what their state or condition may be, the address which Christ our Lord makes to his servants, whom he sends on this enterprise, is to urge them to seek to help everyone. First, by attracting them to the highest spiritual poverty, and should it please the Divine Majesty, and should he deign to choose them, even to actual poverty. Secondly, by encouraging them to desire insults and contempt, for from these two things come humility. So then there are three steps. The first, poverty, opposed to riches. The second, scorn or contempt, 
opposed to worldly honor. The third, humility, opposed to pride. From these three steps, Christ leads them to all virtues. Close the, that's the end of the quote of St. Ignatius. We now have the contrast, and what a contrast this is. Christ's strategy is the direct opposite of Satan's. It begins by inspiring his followers and future apostles in every age, in every state of life, to practice the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, detachment of heart from earthly possessions, and even, if it is God's will, attracting them to dispossession. Um, In all my years in the priesthood, this is of course Father Hardin, I don't go into theological analysis when I invite people to work in the apostolate, but behind every invitation is the principle behind the two standards. The first condition is that the person who wants to serve Christ in winning souls for his divine majesty is himself, at least internally, detached from everything in this world. Money is the most obvious, but is not the only one. This is so fundamental in the apostolate that in 2,000 years there have been no exceptions. The only persons that Jesus Christ uses to spread his gospel are the people detached from the things of this world. And nobody cheats. You cannot play both sides. You cannot love, as Christ tells us, both God and mammon. Then Then Christ inspires his followers just the opposite of the devil's instigation. And those are the two words I always use theologically, instigation by the devil, inspiration by Christ. Christ inspires his followers to actually desire, under the influence of grace, to be scorned or contempted. I know of what I speak. I made the spiritual exercises for the first time at the ripe old age of 22. I have not had to change one syllable ever since. Ever since, You must want, and I quote Ignatius, to be scorned, despised, ignored, rejected. That doesn't mean you go around behaving as somebody who is out of his mind, but for the world, and I mean that in the most generic sense possible, anyone who follows Christ faithfully is out of his mind. And in the world's estimate, we are only as out of our mind as we are faithful in the following of Christ. And having done my own graduate studies and got my degree in psychology, having read several volumes of Sigmund Freud, one of his favorite definitions of a psychotic is, quote, A psychotic is anyone who believes that he will be rewarded after death for the good he has done here on earth. Close quote. That is a direct quote of Sigmund Freud, definition of a psychotic. Pardon me, ladies and gentlemen, my dear fellow psychotics. In other words, presumed behind all that we are saying is that sincerely to imitate Jesus Christ is to be considered, well, not just unworldly, but irrational. And the best we can do is, well, hide or protect or mask what the world calls our irrationality. Quite an art. Uh, Let me interject now, because, of course, what this is intended to be is a show introducing Lent, coming right after um, Ash Wednesday and, and right before the first Sunday of Lent. And this is, this is, this is the story of Lent. Um, you know, we know that Lent is, Lent is uh, essentially 40 days. One way to think of the 40 days is that it's a tithe of the year, right? Because the year has 365 days. It's, it's roughly one-tenth of the days of the year. It is, the, you know, we're supposed to make an offering of one-tenth of everything to God. It's our offering of one-tenth of our year to God. And it is a period in which we are called to um, deny our worldly pleasures. It varies from person to person in different forms. Um, certainly throughout history it's been associated with fasting. It's been associated with giving up certain pleasures of the table, pleasures of eating. Um, there, is a, there are rubrics for required fasts, but many people also give up sweets, give up desserts, and so forth. Uh, sometimes they, they do other mortifications to give up pleasures of the flesh as a way of um, offering this tithe of the year, this 40 days to God. And, um, of course, on Ash Wednesday, we receive ashes on our forehead. Um, The uh, traditional blessing, so to speak, when the ashes are placed on the forehead, are uh, used to be, and it's still one of the options, remember, man, that from dust you come and to dust you'll return. 
essentially, to remind us that um, we are not eternally for this world. This world is not our true home. We were made from the dust of the earth, and we'll, our bodies will return to the dust of the earth, but our souls will live for all eternity. And we can either live for this world, in which case we will essentially lose our eternity, or we can deny the enticements of this world and live for our eternity. And that's why this uh, quote from Sigmund Freud is so perfect here, in the context of Lent, I think, and in the context of Ash Wednesday. A psychotic is anyone who believes that he will be rewarded after death for the good that he has done here on earth. So, basically, if we're not a psychotic in the eyes of Sigmund Freud, in the eyes of the world, then we are in deep, deep, deep trouble in the long run. There are the two standards. We're either part of the army of Christ or we're part of the army of Satan. They're fundamentally, you know, there are two paths through this life. Um, there isn't, there isn't a, a cafeteria option, you know, of taking the main course from this path and the dessert from this path. Anyway, back to uh, Father John Harden. Now some explanation of Christ's call. What this means to all of us who wish to follow the Savior, and mind you, not merely follow him individually, but follow him as one who wants to bring others to follow him, um, we must look around and or search for rejection or dishonor. Do we have to look around or search for rejection or, or dishonor? No, they will come unbidden, unsolicited. Um, my five-year tenure at a state university taught me a lot, including what I'm sharing here. And the key element here is the disposition, disposition of will, which is ready to endure. Let me go through the litany, scorn or contempt even, in the faithful following of Christ. But mind you, in the faithful following of Christ the leader, the one who is inviting the whole human race to follow him. The net result on our part of sincere detachment from creatures and corresponding attachment to Jesus Christ, who himself was scorned and condemned, is deep, deep, deep humility. And a perfect synonym for this deep humility is interior humility, inside humility in the mind and will. Humble people and only humble people are used by Christ to propagate his message of salvation to the world. And Christ knows who is humble and who isn't. But don't you dare for a moment suspect that humble people are, well, stupid people, or that humble people are weak people. Oh no, humble people can be extraordinarily gifted people. Ah, the more gifted they are, the more God will use them, provided, that's the proviso, provided they are really, sincerely, profoundly, interiorly humble. This now brings us to part three of our meditation. How to overcome the devil. Here is Peter's statement, a little long but worth quoting. It's from 1 Peter chapter 5. All of you practice humility towards one another, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in the time of visitation. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be calm, vigilant, because your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering befalls your brethren all over the world. And with that, we've pretty much come to the end of our hour. So I am going to um, have to end there. Um, uh, maybe I'll end with two short quotes that Father Harden later on um, gives that gives the perspective of this divine providence, the devil's um, permission to tempt us. First, from St. Catherine of Siena, quote, I have sent him, that's the devil, in this life to tempt and molest my creatures that they may conquer, proving their virtue and receiving from me the glory of victory. I'll just close with that. So, all things work together for the good, to the good, for those who love God. Um, we are facing the prowling lion of Satan trying to tempt us. This period of Lent 
is a period for us to fortify ourselves against those temptations, in part by um, exercising a little self-mastery, a little self-denial in the things we give up, um, also exercising a greater awareness of the two standards, so to speak, the fact that we're in the long run either going to be followers of Christ scorning the temptations of this world or followers of the temptations of this world ending up having scorned Christ. Um, and we know we know where the pot of gold lies. And um, I will also close by saying um, I don't think there's any more salutary exercise during Lent than the Stations of the Cross. And when I do the Stations of the Cross, uh, and I frankly try to do them every day, um, I find that simply looking at the pictures, just uh, calling to mind the event on the cross, whether it's Jesus' condemnation or his first fall or his meeting his mother or his being stripped or whatever, that that is very fruitful. So I guess what I'm advising you to, if I may do so, is if you do more frequently do the Stations of the Cross, don't get hung up on the necessary prayer, so to speak, on having to recite um, uh, a number of prayers with each station, but maybe sometimes just uh, say the Stations of the Cross by proceeding from one station to another, um, saying, um, you know, we bless you, Christ, for by thy holy cross thou hast redeemed the world, and then spending a few moments just recognizing what Jesus did in that station and what that means for us in our relationship with the world. So with that, I want to thank you for listening. You've been listening to Roy Shoman, Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria, and I hope you join us again next week. Bye for now.